Man, that's how you read the Bible right there. Um, dang, let's go. Okay, we're continuing on in the Gospel of Matthew. It's so good to be with you guys today. And we're actually gonna, as we just read that text, we're gonna look at one of the most famous stories in the Gospels because if, if you ask anybody in our culture to associate walking on water with someone, most people, even non-Christians, would associate that with Jesus. Now, there, there's a lot going on in this story, and, but I wanna have two main points for us as we walk away today. Here's the two main points, okay? First, Jesus strolls through what is impossible for you, and Jesus stands for you even as you sink. So before we look at the text, let's look, look at the context of this miracle to remember where we're at. So Jesus has just fed thousands of people from a couple of fish and a couple of pieces of bread. And as you can imagine, in, in a miracle like that, people were in awe of him. So much so that we learn from John's account that they actually wanted to make him king and Jesus wanted nothing to do with it. Not, not because he wasn't king, not because he didn't want to be king, but he refused to receive kingship on any other terms than God's plan for him to suffer and die for his people. And so he has these calls to be king and he doesn't want his disciples to get swept up into the misguided calls for his kingship. So what does he do? He immediately gets them out of there. Look at verse 22, Matthew 14, 22. It says, immediately, as soon as the feeding is over, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. See, Jesus could handle their misinformed calls for his kingship and praise, but his disciples couldn't. See, the crowds and the disciples, none of them could grasp or embrace a suffering Messiah so he disperses the crowds, sends away the disciples, and once everybody's gone, Jesus is finally able to get the solitude and the space he was looking for. Look at verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now remember, this is why Jesus went to this desolate area in the first place. His friend, his cousin, his partner in ministry had just been murdered unjustly. And he went out there to get time by himself. Why did he feed the, the crowds? Compassion. He didn't go there to feed them, but when he saw them, he had compassion. But his compassion for them, his power to them, didn't stop him from needing time with his father. He still needed to get alone with his father. And how many of us, when we get busy, when we even start serving other people, we find it hard to make time to talk to God, to pray? Not so with Jesus. No, he makes it a point to say, no, no, I need time with my father. He's not like us. He can find a way to do all that God's called him to and not give up on speaking with him by himself. And, and Matthew makes this point emphatically. He wants us to know that Jesus was alone in prayer. And, and there's so much, so much that we could say about how do you find true rest? Where do you get power from the Spirit of God to follow Jesus? There's so much to be said about solitude and prayer, but that's a different sermon. But this is the scene. This is the scene for the walking on water. The disciples are headed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds have gone home with full bellies, and Jesus is by himself with God the Father. This is the setting for the scene. First point, Jesus strolls through what is impossible for you. Look at verse 24 to 27. 
But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So the disciples had been rowing for several hours at this point and they had yet to make it to the other side. And by this time, they should have made it to the other side, but despite all their best efforts and all their strength, they could not overcome the wind against them. Now remember, many of the disciples, they're fishermen. So they're not struggling for lack of knowledge or even lack of experience, but listen, lack of power. So Jesus comes walking to them on the water, says during the fourth watch of the night, that means somewhere between three and 6 a.m. So it's, it's not a far leap to say by this point in time, they are completely exhausted, they are spent, and this is when they see this figure approaching them on the water. Now at first glance, at least to me, this miracle seems strange. It seems strange, I mean, and what I mean by that is every other miracle that you can look at, Jesus is meeting an immediate felt need, casting out demons, healing the sick, feeding thousands, right? There's all immediate needs. Even when a, a wedding party is out of wine, he's like, that's a need I have to fill, right? There's always an immediate need that he's fixing, but what about walking on water? Like how many of us are like, you know what? If God could just prove to me that he could walk on water, I'd believe. Just let me see it, right? For most of us, that's not a thing that we would think about. Oh, that's where you see Jesus's divinity. But what is he doing? Why is it significant? Why is he walking on water to his disciples? Well, this miracle, like every other miracle, it's not a parlor trick, simply to show off how strong he is. All of his miracles are teaching you something. They're showing you who Jesus is and what God is doing through him. So to understand what's happening, you have to understand what the sea represented for the Jewish people. Like this last, this last week was really interesting for me to learn how many times the sea and bodies of water and the depths of water are used in poetic and prophetic imagery uh, throughout the Bible. That the poets and the prophets, they often use this imagery of the sea to have this visceral experience of something that's foreboding, something large and massive and untamable, even evil and chaotic, something too strong for anyone to master or tame. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, but the main reason that the sea is so often used throughout the Bible as a metaphor for things we can't control, things too strong for us, is because of the way God saved Israel. Remember, God's power to control bodies of water and weather patterns is essential to the story of salvation in Exodus. I mean, the crescendo of God rescuing his people from slavery, listen, from taskmasters they were not strong enough to overthrow themselves is what? The parting of the Red Sea. And then bringing that sea down on their enemies to destroy them. See, God's power over the sea isn't only his power over nature, it's his power over our enemies that we're not strong enough to overthrow. I wanna show you, there's, I mean, this week I saw so many texts. Let me give you just one text where you can see the psalmist tied together these themes. Psalm 77, verse 13 through 20, says, your way, O God, is holy. 
What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Listen, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Notice the connection between God redeeming his people and the waters being under his dominion. See, God's way through the sea for the people of Israel wasn't merely a physical phenomenon. It was his leadership of his people into a salvation from chains they could not break. They had enemies too strong for them. Now think about the disciples again. Here they are in this place, something's too strong for them, all of their might, all of the wisdom, they can't overcome it, and what do they see? They see Jesus walking through effortlessly what they have struggled to do. That's the point for you. Jesus strolls through what's impossible for you. He has the divine power to subdue everything that overwhelms you. It's easy for him. What you find insurmountable, he finds easy. What you find perplexing, he finds simple. Enemies you could never conquer are a walk in the park for him. It's important to remember he's stronger than you, but not just you. He's stronger than all of your fears. He's stronger than all of your fears. What scares you does not scare him. What scares you does not scare him. He is God in the flesh. And what does he tell his disciples? Verse 26 and 27, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, which show some superstition on their part. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus knows how scared you and I often are in life. I mean, it, it takes time and introspection in your life and some really good counselors to figure out how much fear drives you. It's not a matter of if fear drives you, it's a matter of what fear drives you. Is it fears of a future you can't guarantee? Is it fears of a political election? Is it fears of becoming something you never wanted to become? Is it fear of losing something you always wanted? All of us, deep in who we are, are scared of something and often that drives us in our decision-making and in our living. Fear drives us. Jesus knows this about us. He knows our fears, and here's his response. What does he say? Have courage. Why, because everything will work out perfect? That's not what he says. Have courage, I'm here. I'm here, don't be afraid. When he walks up and says, it is I, that sounds an awfully lot like when God told Moses, I am who I am is here. Church, Let's never diminish the power and authority of Jesus. 
No one challenges him. No one frightens him. Your fears don't scare him. We cannot fathom his power to uphold the material universe with his word. We have to immerse ourselves. When things are shaky, immerse ourselves in his absolute transcendence. That there's no one's authority that touches him. That when the nations rebel against him, Psalm 2 says God laughs because he knows he's in charge. And the higher you lift up his authority, the more profound his gentleness and his love and his meekness and his kindness is seen for what it truly is. The waters and your enemies tremble before him. That's the point. The point of him walking on water is him saying, I stroll through what is impossible for you. Point one. Point two, Jesus stands for you even as you sink. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, it's interesting, only Matthew includes the story of Peter walking on water. This is actually our first introduction to Peter's personality in Matthew. His name has been mentioned before. This is the first time we get to see this personality, and he's gonna become a more prominent character in the story later on. But it's the first time you get to see Peter. He's just this lovable guy who he's finding a way somehow simultaneously to be right and wrong at the exact same time. And so he says, if it's you, call me out. And so Jesus gives the word, Peter walks on water. And I want you to notice, why is he able to walk on water? It's because Jesus' word is the power. And what is Peter doing? He's locked in on Jesus. The word work and person of Jesus is where God's power is found. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to you to follow after Jesus. Now I wanna focus on verse 30 because there is so much there. Look at verse 29 and 30. He said, come, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus displays his power by calling Peter out and then by saving Peter. So the text is really, really clear why he began to, say, uh, to sink. It says he saw, he saw the wind. He perceived the wind. So here's Peter, he's walking on water towards Jesus. His eyes are locked on Jesus. He's locked in and then he remembers, oh yeah, I'm out walking on water. Oh yeah, this sea is turbulent. Oh yeah, I'm already scared of this ghost on the water. I'm scared of what's gonna happen to me. So he takes his eyes off the word and person of Jesus and his circumstances begin to overwhelm his faith. He was looking at Jesus and he looks around and he sees, oh, there's a lot of danger out here. Oh, there's life-threatening things out here. And something unbelievable happens. It says he begins to sink. Now, now think about this, he begins to sink. This is unbelievable to me, you don't wanna know why? We, 
We've all been around a body of water before, right? And all of us have stepped out onto water. Now, I don't know about you, and I checked around with people who were smaller than me to make sure it wasn't just a me thing, is that when you put all of your weight onto your foot onto water, no one thinks, huh, I'm beginning to sink. I'm currently beginning to sink. Nobody does that, you wanna know why? By the time you have the thought, I'm beginning to sink, you're already under the water. No one begins to sink. So what this means, if Peter's beginning to sink, this means he can feel the water gradually going up his ankles and his calf. That means he recognizes I'm beginning to sink. Jesus had called Peter out to supernaturally walk on water. Now listen, he's also enabling him to supernaturally sink. He's supernaturally sinking. He's aware that he's sinking. Your life and my life is filled with fears. And Jesus is using his power to sustain Peter even in his fears. Even as his fears begin to overwhelm his faith, what does Jesus do? Jesus holds him up and keeps him from drowning. Jesus uses his power to sustain him even in his sinking. So when you're in your life and you look at the wind and the waves all around you, there are so many things in your life that are going to feel more real than Jesus to you. It's just an experience. There's so many things in your life that are going to seem more real than Jesus. Difficult circumstances make weak people like me and weak people like you sink even when Jesus is within an arm's length. We know he sank within an arm's length of Jesus. And so for every person listening to this, for everybody's life, we could talk about all the different enemies and obstacles you face in your faith, but I wanna give you three broad categories of enemies that overwhelm us. Sin, weariness, and suffering. Sin, weariness, and suffering. If there was ever a period of time in a global pandemic with all the unrest and all the injustice and all the politics and everything going on, if there was ever a time where we were aware of these three things, it's now. I mean, how many of us, how many of us right now are filled with guilt and shame? How, how many of us, if we're just being honest, we have given into sin more than we can remember and we have seen the worst version of ourselves play out again and again and again. How many of us are so weary of doing good? Right? How many of us are so weary of choosing kindness, so weary of reading the Bible, so weary of seeking justice, so weary of wading into difficult things and trying to be godly and secretly, if you're honest, you're like, I just want to pull back. How many of us have had sorrow upon sorrow in this season of emotional and physical pain? How many of us have been sick in so many different ways and what sickness does, it erodes your body, it erodes your mind, but it also begins to erode your faith. How many of us were honest, if we could look at our lives out on the water, we'd say we're sinking. I want you to look at this text as the way Jesus speaks to sinking disciples. How does Jesus speak to people whose faith is sinking? He doesn't let Peter fall through because he doubts. 
He doesn't let you fall through because you're scared. He doesn't abandon you because you failed again. He doesn't abandon you because you secretly want to give up on righteousness. He doesn't abandon you because if you're honest, your hope is running out. Listen, please listen to me. Your eyes may be off him, but his eyes aren't off you. Your eyes may be darting everywhere, but his eyes are locked on you. He'll only let you sink enough so that you'll cry out. He'll only let you sink so deep so that you will cry out. And the way he sustains us, so if you think about it, what does that mean practically? How does he sustain us now? Because none of us are walking on water right now. Me and my college buddy tried. We didn't have enough faith, apparently or too much Whataburger, I'm unsure, but the surface tension of the water did not hold us up. So what does it look like practically now? Well, the way he sustains us when your faith is sinking is with stronger promises based on his strength, not yours. Let me give you three texts for each category. When you're, fa- when you're failing and falling into sin and you're struggling to repent and you can't imagine God forgiving you one more time, he sustains you with the promise of an unbreakable covenant. Listen to what he says, John 10, 27. Listen to what he says to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, not even the sheep themselves, will snatch them out of my hand. When you're growing weary of doing good, when you are tired of waiting on the slowness of righteousness, he sustains you with the promise of reward, of reward. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, truly I say to you, weary disciple, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. He sees you, weary disciple, don't give up. And when you're overwhelmed with your own suffering, he sustains you with the promise of the power to fully heal you now, and if not now, in the resurrection to come. John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is how Jesus speaks to sinking disciples. This is what he sounds like. I'm just reading to you what he said. He doesn't shout punishment. He calls to you with promise. He doesn't shout punishment as you sink or disappointment as you sink. He calls to himself with promise. He lets you sink slowly in your doubts so that you would cry out to him. And then he uses power to save because he stands for you even as you sink. Why? So he can pick you up. As soon as Peter cries out, Jesus saves him. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
I love that Jesus didn't make him wait. He didn't make him sit in it. He doesn't rub your nose in it. He calls out, and what does it say? Immediately, Jesus reached out and took hold of him. But what does he say to him? He says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter had been walking on water. He says, Peter, you were walking on water when you looked at me. Why did you think I couldn't help you? I mean, how, you right now in your life, if you've been following Jesus for some time, you have so many stories of him coming through for you when you couldn't see a way out. And even if you're listening to this, you're not a Christian, even you can look back at your life and, and have unexplainable things that have happened and grace and gifts that you didn't deserve. And just so you know, that's from God. You look at your life and you see his grace. He looks at you and says, why did you think I couldn't help you now? See, when he says, oh, you have little faith, this is clearly a rebuke for Peter and honestly for us. See, our doubts are real. You're gonna experience doubts in your life, but listen, and also don't hide those doubts. But just because your doubts are real doesn't mean they're reasonable. It doesn't mean they're reasonable. Because his point to Peter is, Peter, if you could walk on water, why do you think I couldn't save you now? And for us, if Jesus can overcome death and resurrection, then our doubts can be real, but they can't be justified. I, I love that doubts don't scare away Jesus. They don't scare him away. We don't wanna be a church where you feel like you have to hide your doubts. Be honest about them, but let's never be a people who make it noble to hold on to them either. But there's one piece in the saving of Peter, and then we're done, that I want us to end on. Yes. Did Peter lack faith? Did Peter doubt? Yes, but that didn't stop Jesus from saving him. Peter's lack of faith kept him from walking on water, but it didn't keep Jesus from saving him. See, Jesus springs into action at the smallest amount of faith. He just told us Peter's faith was small and he's still saved. So here's the question, will your doubts keep you from experiencing some of Jesus' power? Maybe, it did for Peter, but, but, will your doubts, will your struggles, will your failures ever keep you from his love? Never, never. That's the point of him saving Peter, is your doubts never keep him from saving when your faith is sinking. Don't worry about being strong. Don't worry figuring out, oh, what's my issue and what's my problem and what's my question and what's, what do I need Jesus to do for me? Don't think through all those things. Just worry about crying out to him and he'll take care of the rest. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Today, Jesus is seated on his throne in heaven and the storms have ceased. He's overcome the wind and waves of sin and weariness and suffering. But listen, do you know how he overcame it? Not by walking on the waters, not by walking over our fears, but being swallowed up by them in death by going to the cross for us, giving everything for us, that's how he overcame our enemies. 
His glory in heaven forever is his weakness to say, look how much I've loved you. You know how strong I am? But I chose weakness so you'd know there's no enemy that overcomes you in my kingdom. There's no fear of yours that keeps me from you. You may be sinking, but I'm not sinking. So if today you're walking in faith and you think you're standing on the waters, walking to Jesus, that's amazing. But don't make that deceive you into thinking you can take your eyes off of him lest you fall. And if you're sinking today, and many of us are, if you're sinking today in your faith, don't think that means, that means he's sinking too. He stands strong for you even as you sink. And just because your eyes are off him doesn't mean his eyes are off you. Truly, truly, he is the son of God to be worshiped with all of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, there is no way to express or to articulate the greatness of the person and the work of Jesus. We just wanna say there is literally no one like him because there is no one like you. Father, you sent Jesus to us so that we could see what your love was like, so that we could know even when we are weak and helpless and overwhelmed by the winds and the waves of this world, Jesus, you stand strong. What's impossible for us is not impossible for you. And you stand for us even as we sink. God, give us faith to believe. Give us faith to believe. Call out to us now, Jesus, with your promises. Help us trust you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.